Welcome to today's podcast, Building Sustainability into Your Enterprise Risk Program. Climate change is forcing businesses to reevaluate conventional climate risk management practices that promote sustainability and reduce associated vulnerabilities. Investors, activists, regulators, and law enforcement are also taking notice. A growing number of asset managers are adopting social impact investing, and climate change lawsuits are on the rise. More and more, forward-looking risk managers will need to integrate climate-resilient decision-making into their programs. Today, I'm joined by Christine Harada, president of IX Investments. Christine has significant experience in advisory business operations. She has senior executive leadership experience with government agencies and professional services firms. And most recently, she served as the chief sustainability officer of the United States for the Obama administration. In this role, Christine provided oversight for all sustainability-related initiatives across the federal government in energy, fleet, and acquisitions, overseeing game-changing improvements that added to our nation's clean energy future. Christine, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's get started. Let's tell, tell us a little bit about, tell the audience a little bit about your impacting investment firm, IX Investments. What's that all about? Yeah, so we are an impact investing company uh, founded in 2016 by Howard Warren Buffett, uh, who's Warren Buffett's grandson, and uh, he authored a book on social value investing, and by Trevor Nielsen, who previously worked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as well as with the Gates Family Office. Uh, We invest in a variety of industries, from video games to biofuel, with a focus on creating impact without giving up any financial returns. We're structured as a permanently capitalized holding company, so we're not a fund. Uh, for those investors who want to create both risk-adjusted market rate returns and positive social impact, and our vision is to create the first publicly traded finance company that gives investors the opportunity to align their investments with their values without forsaking returns. And our dream is that we hope to eventually IPO, allowing anyone anywhere to become a shareholder in IX. That's great. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, you, we talked earlier, and you told me your slogan is profit with a purpose. I love that. And why do you believe that you can make top returns while also doing good for the planet? Oh, God, absolutely. You know, despite our explicit focus on doing good, we certainly do not sacrifice any returns in the process. Um, and our company is set up similar to Berkshire Hathaway with capital that can create an investing company for the long term, rather than the private equity fund approach is forced to sell companies at the end of the fund's life. Um, and if you look at the total impact that a company, any company, has on society, the benefits from its products, the services, operations, core capabilities, activities, and if they're all executed well, uh, this approach has been shown to reduce the risk of negative events and opening up new opportunities. And the data is really starting to emerge on this front, and several studies have been published in the past year to this end. In the end, this approach allows a company to survive and thrive. Um, and while a lot of research has also focused on demonstrating the link between a company's overall ESG performance and its financial performance, we anticipate that we'll see many more industries showing the same kinds of results. That's great to hear. Um, and so when you're looking at investments, what do, you, what do you look for when you're making investments? And, and do you think that investors overall are, are willing to pay a premium for sustainability? Yeah, so so we look for a few things, and I'd say the first two criteria are on equal footing. So first is the impact in direct alignment with the core business, and is that intentionality there? We certainly don't want it to be an accident or an unintentional thing. Um, You know, we want to see that it's been actively designed into the system. 
And secondly, you know, we look at will this investment provide market rate returns? And just like any other business investment, we look at the team, its track record, the industry, the competitors, et cetera. Investors are getting better at identifying their fields uh, where one can indeed make or even exceed market rate returns. And so more so than are investors willing to pay a premium, it was more about am I okay with conceding returns? And there are indeed investors out there who are willing and able to provide capital in that manner. And there are fields where market failures exist that I would argue are perhaps a better place for philanthropic dollars. We're, we're starting to see a real mixing of monies that is a combination of philanthropic and perform capitalistic dollars that is driving additional capital to help address uh, these needs, which I think is super exciting. That's great. And now we read a lot about, in the paper, activist investors uh, in this space and sometimes even employee activists. Um, how are those two groups sort of changing the dynamic invest around investing in this area? Yeah, the stark science that's been laid out in the IPCC reports of late, especially from October and a couple months ago, the mainstream, and the world is really beginning to understand that we're facing an actual climate emergency, and that it's not just an exaggerated hyperbole, that it's very real. You know, in recent months, we've seen passionate people marching through the streets of London and New York. We've seen a young, determined, and articulate teenager from Sweden who stood in front of today's elite and told them they're wrong. We've seen environmental veterans who for years have taken us on journeys through the world's most fragile ecosystem, now telling us that climate change can wipe them out very soon. And I think the shift in attitudes is also creating a shift in conversation and a recognition of the urgency of climate change. And I think that in and of itself is an incredibly positive development. Activism and campaigning are critical for raising awareness and creating that need for change. And once the realization that sustainable development challenges and climate change in particular are problems that need solving right now, you know, there's a huge amount to be done. And I think the mindset shift is just the start. Uh, you know, we're seeing businesses reconfigure and rewire their organizational strategies in different parts of the system that are being brought together to figure out new ways of organizing and operating that form a new context. Um, a lot of this can only be choreographed from inside the systems that need fixing with people who are ready to work together on the transition. And while I personally believe that working alongside the current system to change it is a useful strategy, uh, it, it's also got, you know, a couple of shortfalls. So, for example, by not having a clear enough vision of what systems change in, in any system looks like, change is more likely. And ambition levels can also be tempered by the realities of how difficult it is to change, um, but personally, I think given our climate emergency, and we're watching out for this a lot more acutely, and, uh, you know, we're not taking the usual excuses for, for inaction. Um, you know, the fact that the climate change is understood is incredible and will require a wholesale change to the multiple systems that surround us, including, um, you know, possibly starting with the entire macroeconomic system, which means we need to pull all the levers of change available to us from legislation to knowledge transfer to how money flows through our economy. So, for example, we see governments stepping up their efforts. We see the investment community accelerating uh, the flows of billions of dollars from carbon-hungry industries to new and renewable ones and businesses that are rethinking their goods and services. And, you know, and in the end, for us as individuals, it's up to all of us to decide how we want to best use our power, our relationships, our skills, and our very essence to drive the change that we want to see. 
That's great. I mean, so let's try to turn this and shift gears a little bit. It's always helpful for our audience to hear some examples, and maybe you can just talk about a few examples of companies that are either incorporating sustainability into their business or or in the business of sustainability. Yeah, we've certainly seen a lot of businesses coming out rec- of a couple of past couple of years or that are incorporating sustainability into their practices. So we've got major providers and suppliers like uh, service providers like Amazon, for example, focusing IKEA, focusing on both renewable energy to help power their operations as well as, you know, recyclable and environmentally more friendly uh, packing products, et cetera. Uh, but from on the business side, we see an emergence of, well, I think it's a super exciting emergence of a couple of new kinds of businesses. So first is a carbon to value. So there's some companies out there that are actually capturing carbon and utilizing it sequestering it to help add value to other products. So for example, converting that carbon to concrete or converting that carbon to fuels or to plastics. Um, some example companies in this area include players like Carbon Engineering, Carbon Cure, Solidia. Um, there's some there's some exciting players there. Uh, circularity is another uh, area that I think is really coming into the fore. That old adage that one man's trash is another man's treasure. Uh, companies like Fulcrum Bioenergy. Uh, one of our investments is a company called Waste Fuel that convert municipal solid waste into aviation fuels. Um, and there are also a number of companies in the fashion and apparel industry, which is tremendously polluting, that are renewing and refurbishing products and partnering with major brands to help drive both awareness and consumption. We've also seen excitement lately on sustainable agriculture and food supply. So with, for example, the Beyond Meat IPO. And even before that, when major brands like Fuddruckers, White Castle, Burger King started serving such products across the nation and not just in the major metropolitan areas, like you know really taking a hold. And last but not least, I'd be remiss not to include real estate, both commercial and residential, where there's a ton of great innovations and technology that are helping to reduce waste and energy, both in construction and the operations of real assets. Um, and there's also a number of financing innovations that are coming out to help support the deployment of these technologies. So some companies like Sustainable Living Innovations or Plant Prefab, for example, are really changing and shifting construction industry. Those are great examples. I'm going to take you back to the future, basically, a little bit back to your uh, past role in the government. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what lessons for our audience, some some companies here that are listening in, what can they learn from from what you did in your past role at the government? Absolutely, there's a great number of lessons that I think can be crossed over from government to private industry in this particular regard. And to to give a little bit of context, um, when I was in government, I had oversight over 343,000 buildings. 623,000 vehicles, and $450 billion to spend in procurement of goods and services. Uh, and so given the large numbers within the federal enterprise, you know, there's a lot of great emphasis and lessons that I think can be transferred. So, for example, um, did you know the federal government has actually been doing sustainability and energy savings since the energy crisis in the 1970s, right? That was a real wake-up moment for the federal government in its own operations And the primary focus, though, in driving sustainability through these numbers is fiduciary responsibility and stewardship of taxpayer dollars. We make these decisions to drive value and to do it in the most cost-effective and defensible way. 
you know, the government certainly could do better. It's a massive organization, and, of course, there are better efficiency these ways can capture. But sustainability ultimately leads to cost savings from so many different angles. For example, in buildings, it significantly reduces their energy usage and spend. In fuels, it diversifies our fuels portfolio and provides resilience on a global scale. And I think one of the big reasons why we were so successful during the Obama administration in actually achieving major greenhouse gas emissions reductions and water conservation is because we tied it to the core mission of the federal agencies. So those agencies that incorporated sustainability into their mainline missions were the most successful in reducing their carbon footprint, but also in reallocating those resources towards their core missions and improving their overall ability to carry out their mission. My best partner when I was in government was the Department of Defense. Their missions are directly tied to how we procure, distribute, and consume energy in theater in some really remote parts of the world and obviously very hazardous environments. And so they went long in developing and securing solutions that reduce their energy use in non-essential areas, and they provide a greater resilience in the mission-critical areas. Just to put some numbers to it, for every gallon of fuel that we in theater, and four out of five people that we lost in Iraq, in Iraq and Afghanistan came not from the front lines of the battlefield, but from the supply chain from the fuel transport. And so the Department of Defense really saw this as being vital to being able to carry forth their mission. And so they pushed forward the most in terms of actually deploying innovative technologies in the field to help make this happen. And, you know, this also all happened because we helped integrate the experts at places like each of the Environmental Protection Agency environmental sciences and policy and the Department of Energy with their renewable energy and energy storage technologies with those folks in the field and actually using them to help execute on their core missions. Those are very helpful. I think uh, making, you know, making it real for everybody. And um, so, in, you know, to go back to these companies that might be listening in today, how should they be thinking about the, sort of the ROI on these types of sustainability investments um, whether that's taking their building to be more green or uh, trying to reduce waste in their production process, how should they be thinking about um, the ROI of those activities? Yeah, there are several trends right now that have led corporate leaders to rethink the role of business and society. The first, uh, to your earlier point, stakeholders, including employees, customers, and government, are Ensuring companies to play a more prominent role in addressing critical challenges such as economic inclusion and climate change. And in particular, uh, there's recognition that meeting lens uh, sustainable development goals or the SDGs would not be possible without the private sector's involvement. Uh, second, investors are increasingly focusing on companies' social environmental practices as evidence mounts that performance in these areas affects returns over the long term. And third, there are standards that are being developed for which uh, the environmental, social, and governance, or ESG topics, are financially material by industry, and data on company performance in these areas is becoming much more available and reliable and increasing transparency and drawing more scrutiny from investors and others. And I think that as these trends gain momentum, companies need to add a lens in their strategy setting and one that considers its total impact. And that can be defined as the total benefits of society from your product, services, operations, core capabilities, and activities. And I would argue the most powerful and yet challenging way to enhance your impact 
is to leverage the core business, which is an approach that yields scalable and sustainable initiatives. And if it's executed well, this approach enhances the total value over the long term by reducing the risk of negative events and opening up new opportunities. And in the end, you know, these types of approaches really allow a company not just to survive, but to really thrive. And, you know, a lot of folks might think, okay, great, I want to do the right thing. Where do I start? Um, there's some fantastic tools out and resources out there. The Global Impact Investing Network, GIN, has set up a wonderful framework around evaluating impact called IRIS. Um, of course, our Howard Warren Buffett developed the impact rate of return methodology for evaluating the impact and making those trade-off decisions for your various investments. Also, SASB, or the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, has a materiality map uh, that's useful for determining which factors or categories are most material for your business. So, for example, if your consumer packaged goods, obviously very different, which is obviously very different from pharma or oil and gas. And so, you know, I think executives need to really dig deep and figure out which topics have a positive correlation with your valuations and financial performance for your particular industry. Great. Uh, well, Christine, thank you very much for the time today. I think it was really insightful and on a topic that is not always top of mind with some of our uh, of our clients and some of the companies that might be listening today. So thank you for making it more top of mind for them uh, and, and for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If you like this content and want more, Go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member. RAIN members get exclusive access to webinars, podcasts, the daily risk book email digest, expert content, and more. So go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member today.